You are listening to the Lennox Podcast. The podcast is created by two brothers to discuss their tragic loyalty to the New York Knicks. Passions may boil into explicit content. This podcast is not for the faint of heart. Today's episode is brought to you by rotopros.com. Rotopros.com is a site built by daily fantasy sports players for daily fantasy sports players. They have everything you need to become a profitable player with unique content, customizable tools, and a team of experts ready and eager to help you strategize. This is more than just an information service. It's an interactive community, and they want you to be a part of it. Click the link in our bio for $10 off your first month subscription. Enjoy. Of season two, I mean, we we've had an episode thirty three before. This is our second time go around, but you know, you always got to acknowledge the captain, the big man, whose birthday it just was. Happy birthday, Patrick! So season to uh, Patrick Ewing Jr. as well, big friend of the podcast. So season two, episode thirty three. Uh, August tenth at approximately six thirty. And Michael, what are we doing? We moving. And you are back. With the Lennox Podcast in the recording studio in the adjacent city to the Silicon Valley of the Midwest, which is Carmel, Indiana. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. In the recording studios of the Lennox Podcast, which is in Indianapolis, Indiana. And the big news that is long awaited by all of Lennox Nation, friends of the podcast, this will be the last recorded podcast in the recording studios of the Lennox Podcast as our whole entire front our office our business will be moving to the sports media capital of the of the world i think right as i have accepted yeah, I a job so. with espn so i'm going to be moving to bristol connecticut this is real news i mean i know it sounds a little bit jokey Dude. but this is real news uh so we yeah, will be so moving I to bristol connecticut forgiving you and the <laughs> not forgiving you and the uh I, i'm very much a fan of making uh Carmel, Indiana, the new Bristol, the new ESPN. I think ESPN's going down. I think uh, Carmel's coming up, and I think that uh, this choice will haunt you for the rest of your life. So hey, it, I'm not supportive. I, I'm not at all. It might, and I'm not counting out to the fact that it might come back and bite me in the ass. I'm totally not I mean, counting that out. Have you been to Carmel, Indiana lately? It's booming. <laughs> yeah, it's booming. I, uh, I mean, uh, the energy there. The, the guy goes to Carmel, Indiana w- once and thinks that he owns the place. You know, just whatever. But uh, we will be moving the studios to Bristol, Connecticut. And with that, we will be moving our... Big time front to YouTube. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. YouTube. S- same YouTube. YouTube. thing. YouTube. 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 The, the Lennox YouTube. on YouTube. Um, but the podcast will still continue. It will be accessible on SoundCloud, but it will be it will be recorded straight from our YouTube lives. So live podcast from here on out. So with that, big time news to start the episode on a big time YouTube. energy spree. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing pretty because Michael Beasley is gone. Well, we, still, has, still, 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 I'm still coping with it, and it still hasn't even been close to cope with yet. That's awfully good foreshadowing to some stuff, some material that we have to talk about, because it has been quite a while since we had our last podcast as the whole Bristol, Connecticut, ESPN movement was taking place. However, we have a lot to cover. Summer League games, a lot of off-season transactions, and of course, everybody's favorite segment, which is the Lennox Rants, but we will get to all of that. You know how that goes. But let's start it off with segment one, which is 
there's always the games, and we actually have games to talk about. We're not going to go game by game, but there was a series of games that happened during the summer, and it's called Summer League. There was a lot. Summer League in Las Vegas, a.k.a. the house that Nate Robinson built. One of the many houses he built. I was actually another house he built, which is the University of Alaska Stadium in Washington. Uh, Wait, so no, not of University houses. of Alaska Stadium. It's Alaska Airways, isn't it? Oh, Alaska. Yeah, I knew I fucked it up. Alaska <laughs> Airlines Stadium in Seattle, Washington, where the Washington Huskies played. That's one of the houses that Nate Robinson built, and we even spoke to him about it on Earth. That would be the That's weirdest stadium for a university to have, the University yeah. of Alaska <laughs> Stadium in the University of Washington. College. But as we all know, as everybody knows, the other house that Nate Robinson built, the Cox Pavilion, UNLV Stadium, even though nowadays it's at uh, two stadiums in Las Vegas. But Las Vegas in general is basically the city that Nate Robinson it's, built. It's you just, think it's, it's Nate Robinson's stomping grounds. That's all it is. The mob. It's Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson's the king of Las Vegas. His jersey was hung up. And by hung up, we mean thumbtacked to a wall and later taken down. <laughs> and later taken down by some janitor. Very <laughs> ceremoniously put put up. Very ceremoniously put up but, and very but, unceremoniously but totally put true. down. That's 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 the beauty of the Summer League right there. I love Summer League. All right, Always so have. Summer League started, and it was a very anticipated Summer League. As every Knicks fan in the world, directly after the NBA draft, Already knew that the Knicks completely dominated the draft and got the greatest picks in the world. And we have so much young talent. Partially true. And uh, we're here to eat some crow as well. And uh, the way that I think that we are going to go about this is we're going to ping pong it. So we got some points that we want to make. I think we're going to go two and two, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Michael, I'm going to let you go first with this one. All right. So the first player I want to shout out is Kevin Knox. It's clobbering time. It's clobbering time because he literally looks identical to the thing from Fantastic. Hold Four, on. So. Side note. Side side note. I already see the PC police coming out and showing their faces and about us comparing him to the thing. He's only like an 18 year old kid. Spare me. I don't care. If he didn't want to be compared to the thing, he shouldn't be really good at basketball and he shouldn't look so much like the thing. Let me just put that out there real quick. Yeah. I mean, that's a fact. Yeah. He looks like the thing. So I'm going to oh, call him the thing. That's how it is. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so, as you know, we were not fans of the Knox pick. And like I've said many times, I I said it probably repeatedly on the last podcast after the draft, it was never that I didn't like Kevin Knox. It was, you know, in a different year under different circumstances, I might have loved the Kevin Knox pick. If it was, you know, a draft that didn't have so many players I liked, this year I just so happened to like a number of guys who were available when Knox was picked. But Knox has always been a good prospect. It's not like a guy watching college who was like, he's terrible, he's not going to amount to shit. There were red flags for me, and other players I thought had less of a red flag. So I'm going to start out with the negatives, just to not, not to be negative, just so I can end it on the right foot. But it was definitely not a perfect summer league for Knox. His shooting percentages are very low. We're going to have to kick that up a notch. Only 35% from the field, 35% from three. Um, he was a little erratic, inconsistent here and there. But that's about it with the negatives. And the thing about Knox, and I say this all the time about players who I know can shoot the ball or we know can shoot the ball, I don't get crazy about the percentages and whether they're hitting or not. We know Kevin Knox is a shooter. That much has been established. What I never liked about Knox is I thought that he's a little soft. I thought that he lacked that. I want the ball. Like he, He's a scorer. He's a very versatile scorer, but he doesn't play with that scorer's mentality. You never saw him attack the hoop much at Kentucky. He would settle for these floaters and these little mid-range jump shots off the dribble instead of taking it hard to the hoop. That was one of my red flags about Knox. And like me and Jacob said, we're looking for Knox to prove us wrong. We have a lot invested in this guy right now, and I think any Knicks fan, I mean, obviously most Knicks fans know, and us included, that the Summer League was a great sign. Knox made first team all Summer League. He averaged 21.3 points a game, 6.5 boards. But more important than the numbers, we saw Knox play aggressive. We saw him attack the hoop. We saw him handle the ball, run some ticket rolls as a ball handler. These are all things that I, I wasn't hating on Knox out of ignorance. 
you know, like, it wasn't like a Porzingis thing where I'm just like, oh, I've never heard of his name, so I'm going to say I don't like the pick. I watch Kentucky a lot. I usually, you know, last year we were doing the podcast, I was all about Malik Monk, Kentucky guy. He was my main guy. I loved De'Aaron Fox. Knox, I watched. I just didn't love him as a player compared to some other guys, and it was partially because he didn't do what he showed in Summer League. What he did in Summer League made him look like a top-five pick. He now has the third-best odds to win Rookie of the Year, according to most gambling sites, after our boy Donkic and DeAndre Aiden. I think that's for a good reason. He's going to have a lot of chances this year. And playing aggressive like that, dunking, you know, the way he took it to the hoop, his game reminds me a little bit of Al Harrington offensively, and that's in a good way because Al Harrington, as we know, is a master bucket guy, jump shot, he could take it to the hoop. And for his game to look that diverse as an 18-year-old right now, um, I think that, you know, Kevin Knox gets an A for the summer league. It oh, really yeah. was. I'm, I'm high on him right now. I'm ready. I'm anxious to see him during the season. Yeah, absolutely, and he's got, he has a, a ton of people in Knicks Nation super excited. I'm not necessarily going to be the one that says that the Knicks are going to win 40 games now, like a lot of people are saying. We're still probably going to suck, but at the very yeah, least, you know. at the very least, his summer league performance made me very excited for what we're going to see from him this year. He's going to be one of our primary scoring options, if not the primary scoring option. And uh, if he stays as aggressive as he looked in summer league and he's only 18 and he develops that type of game and gets adjusted to the NBA, it's going to be exciting watching him grow and develop. So I'm very yeah, excited. I'm hearing, lot, I'm hearing a lot of Jason Tatum comparisons. Yeah. Like Jason Tatum that, is the I, sexy I comparison, see. but, um, yeah. but yeah, I mirror all your statements and that, that was a pretty good rundown of it. So with, I, I'm oh, glad you. I'm, 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 you're welcome. You know, and since you start with the negative, and moved it to the positivity. I'm going to keep it positive with my next uh, takeaway from Summer League. And I'm going to talk about Alonzo Trier for a second. Uh, probably not as long as you went with Kevin Knox, but Alonzo Trier is a guy that I was extremely familiar with coming out of college. I am an Arizona fan. I went to Arizona for a year. Um, I have quite a relationship with the Arizona Wildcats. And when I heard that the Knicks picked up Alonzo Trier as an undrafted free agent, it did not excite me. I hated Alonzo Trier's tenure with the Arizona Wildcats. When he was, when it comes to big moments, he always shied away and stunk. He was pretty impressive during the year when he wasn't suspended for steroids or some banned substance of some capacity. But I will say that he dominated in the summer league. I mean, for every bit as impressive Kevin Knox was, that's how impressed I was with Alonzo Trier. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He was pulling up, and he... You talk about comparisons. He's getting a lot of comparisons to Lou Williams, even before the Summer League started. And I was like, okay, you're really grasping for strings now. You know, I can see they measure up similarly and their games are similar, but Lou Williams was a bona fide scorer always. He could drop 70 on you in college ball, high school ball, whatever. Alonzo Trier never striked me as that type of guy, but I can see where they're coming from now with his summer league performance. And who knows? Maybe his game is more catered to the NBA game than it was in college. Because when it came to, you know, playing the bigger name teams, he did not do well. But in summer league, he was playing against NBA talent to some point, And he was unbelievable. He was able to put the ball in the hoop in a multitude of ways, and he was just filling up the stat sheet with assists, rebounds, points, good percentages. He was every bit as dominant as Kevin Knox was. I give Alonzo Trier an A as well. What about you? Yeah, I don't know if I would rank it as high as Knox um, because of, you know, just Trier, Trier played great. Um, but it was a lot of what I saw at Arizona, and I agree with your statements about him at Arizona and the things he did inconsistently. But it was it was still the similar Alonzo Trier to me. When I watched Knox in Summer League, I felt like I was watching a completely different guy than the guy I watched who completely and utterly faded away in the Sweet 16 loss to, who was it, Kansas State? One of, yeah, I think it was Kansas State. Just the ball handling, you know, the attacking parts of that game that I really never saw him put on display in Kentucky. But I agree. Trier was great. He looks like he could be a find in the second uh, round. Uh, undrafted. I was very impressed by his play. Oh, wait, undrafted. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, 
you know, he always had talent, and those were things that he put on display at Summer League, so I was impressed by his performance as well. Speaking of impressive performances, I'm going to now go to our guy, the actual second-round pick, Mitch Robs, a.k.a. Mitchell Robinson, um, absolute beast. They don't call him savage for nothing. His summer league performance, another A. The Knicks young guys came to Vegas. They didn't win much, but what Mitch Robinson showed us was just something that, you know, we both liked this pick from the start, and he put on a display, just blocks everything left and right. He blocked everything in sight. These alley-oop jams, these dunks that he had, just everything that you look for in a modern-day center between his athleticism, his size, his length. He hadn't played a organized basketball game five-on-five in over a year and came to the summer league not skipping a beat. Um, it shows that his training, you know, it pays off well. College basketball is not the end-all, be-all. He was training at a high level, training with Anthony Davis, and he set an NBA summer league record with 20 blocks. To put that in, that's four blocks a game, and to put that into perspective, DeAndre Aiden, Marvin Bagley, and Mo Bamba combined to swat 12 blocks in summer league. Again, our boy Mitrop had 20. He was an absolute beast. I mean, he was tantalizing to watch. He jumped off the screen. I don't know how you can be more impressed by his summer league performance. There's really not much more to say about that. If you watched, you already know. You don't need me to explain it to you. It just goes to show you that you, you can't really teach 7-1 and stupid athleticism. It's just something yeah, that you have. And... It's so exciting for Nick fans to see that out of Mitch Robb at such an early age. He looked like so, he was so dominant, but more so from his like physical dominance, he was also like polished, you know? So it, it goes to show you that, yeah, maybe college basketball, maybe some more people seeing Mitch Robb will, will take his route after not being able to get paid. I mean, it, it could become a, a whole big process and something that we're not really going to touch on. But Mitchell Robinson was unreal, and uh, I already see videos of him working on his jump shot. If he can work on his jump shot and actually get a pretty consistent jumper, Lord help the rest of the league, he will be something else, something extremely dangerous. So yeah, Again, like like we said after the draft, I think it, that route makes more sense and it's easier to translate to success if you are a player like Mitchell Robinson, as opposed to like Let's say you're a point guard. You really need to get like the feel of the game down, and you know the game speed type of action. Um, like we said, it's not about stereotypes or anything. If you have, if you're a center and you have Mitch Robinson's, you know, Lance, his physical tools, it's easier to put it together because that's what NBA centers are asked to do these days. Yeah, seriously. So. Three extreme huge positives, three potential huge uh, franchise-changing picks, maybe maybe two, but maybe three uh, if everything hits. So a lot of excitement. But for my last bullet point of the Summer League, I have to note the one glaring negative that I took away from the five games. And even though the Knicks didn't rack up the Ws like we thought they would because our whole team is consisting of the young talents that you know our whole team is going to consist of all year long. Uh, most of the players played pretty well, and I was pretty impressed. But there was one guy that jumped off the screen as just a big-time disappointment, uh, someone I was extremely excited to watch during the Summer League, and that was a good friend of the podcast and a personal good friend of mine, Damian Dotson. He came to Summer League, and he was he was atrocious, Michael. He did not play well at all. He had a pretty good last game where he kind of made up for it a little bit, but he played four games there where he just looked like lost, couldn't make a jump shot, didn't know what to do with the ball, turnovers, shooting percentages that were just miserable. And this is not coming from a guy that wants to hate Dotson. I love Dotson, and I was rooting for him, but every time he took a shot, I'm like, Dotson, just pass it, man. You're not going to make the shot. And I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It looked like he took a step back from last year. And if you go back to our past podcast uh, when the season was ending, I said that Dotson ended the year on a good note, and it was going to jumpstart him into the next season. And I think that he's going to end up taking what is given to him and uh, and going forward with it. But that is not what I saw from him in the summer league. He was disappointing. So hopefully he gets his ass in the gym and starts getting the work because I was unimpressed. Michael, what do you have on Damian Dotson? Yeah, I agree. That's our boy, D-Dot. And I was expecting a big summer league from D-Dot after the way the season ended. Um, he was really the 
I mean, Frank came back. He played well, but he only played in two games before um, sitting out the rest. And Frank's not a scorer. I was expecting Dotson to be, you know, our scorer during the summer league, him to show off the strides that he was taking to become a rotation player, at least uh, for this next season, and see what he could do on a young team that most likely is not going to win a lot of games. But he was a blank. Uh, the guys drafted this season. You know, Trier, I think, did most of what we expected Dotson to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if, if Dotson is not careful, um, he might not even have a spot in the roster next season after the way he played. But I will say, in my closing argument about Dotson, I don't care how bad he plays. If Ron Baker gets the roster spot over him, I will still be pissed off. <laughs> I, will be, I will lose my mind. And that's actually a pretty good segue. Uh, just one last point before we move on. Uh, Frank Nielikina played one Game in the Summer League. Oh, two games, excuse me. Two games in the Summer League, and he was impressive in that one showing. I just wanted to give him a shout-out. We didn't forget, but we wanted to focus on the other four because those were the glaring bullet points for the Summer League. But I'm glad that you ended it with Ron Baker because that is actually a pretty good jump start to what we're going to get to in the second segment. So with that, (laughs) please stay tuned. What is up, Nick Nation? You are back with the Lennox Season 2, Episode 33, the Patrick Ewing Honorary Podcast, the second one of the podcast's seasons, so that's pretty cool. And Michael. Second what? The second Patrick Ewing Honorary Podcast. I mean, we had one in Season 1. We have one in Season 2 also. But Michael, this music, what do you have on this music? The music, dying to talk about the music. It's a classic, an underrated classic at that. It is the 90s, early 2000s theme music from MSG Networks. They play it going into commercial breaks and all that. If you're an OG and was watching the team back then, you definitely remember it. Um, and more importantly, Jake, it is cooling, as I like to describe it. It calms down the nerves a little bit after a tense, heated segment one, and we all know what segment three is. This is just the time for rational discussion. Well, the rational discussion today comes on the brink of the month and a half layover that we've had since our last podcast. And since that last podcast, the whole league has turned upside down and the Knicks team that we saw last year will be very drastically different from this coming season. Just like every other season. Just like every other season in recent memory. But there was one specific move that we have to talk about first. The coaches change. The only thing that doesn't change is the losing. It is the losing. But before we really get into everybody else, we have to talk about an extremely important member, a fallen soldier in the La Resistance movement, number two after Kuzminskis. And we have to have a moment. So I'm going to set the scene real quick, Michael. We got to do it. Michael Beasley, Michael Beasley, the walking bucket, the walking bucket, the walking bucket, another casualty of war. discussion. I'm more emotional than ever. I know. I'm like actually tearing up here, but it is another casualty of war. I'm a cowboy. In the La Resistance movement, this is where we are. Michael, why don't you talk about the walking bucket, Michael Beasley, for a little bit? Let's hear your eulogy of uh, his death in the Knicks uniform. I mean, what could I say about Michael Beasley and his less than a year spent in New York? It's pure electricity, Jake. And some stars, they shine so bright that they go out before their time. From day one, from his press conference, when he's saying, I'm a walking bucket, he's saying that he's as good of a scorer, better than LeBron and Durant from the 12.5% of your brain with the watches all over the place, to his first minute on the court where he drained the three, rolled his ankle and still called for the ball. The hot hand quote might be my favorite quote in a long history of great Knicks quotes from the sinking ship Michael Ray Richardson to factorial with Stephon Marbury. 
Um, you know, I love Pablo Prigioni. He'll always be like my guy who like really did a lot in a little bit of time. But I don't know if anything will ever top the Michael Beasley experience, the walking bucket experience for less than a year. The guy was a, a, a shining, bright comet that just, you know, it was too bright. Went out before it's time. Well, went out far too soon. And I echo all your statements and... It'll be unnecessary. It was unnecessary. It was an overreaction to something that didn't happen. I mean, like he was nothing but great for the Knicks, great with the media, great for the Knicks. He was like the punching bag for the media, and we parted ways with him. It was it was unwarranted, and I don't know. It was just a That's stupid move. That's the problem move. with the Knicks. We just spoke about. It. They always think they need change, and yes, they do need change, and a lot of. Sh- went wrong with the team and like you need to fill a lot of pieces obviously but just because you need a, like a, a new uh, what's the word I'm looking for like a new foundation a culture change everything like that it doesn't mean you just need to completely revamp the roster year by year part of it is just building up a bench and someone like Beasley who did his role very well there's no need to get rid of him, especially when he goes for a one-year, three and a half million-dollar contract to the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I it's absolutely some multi-year, like big money contract. You can't bring him back for a, you know, another a year, three and a half million. I mean. Bring him back for a year if you're not sure about him. This is going to be a major transitional year for the it's Knicks. Like, why'd you even sign him in the first place if you're just gonna? He's gonna do everything that it was cry, required of him and, and more. And entertaining, <laughs> yeah, and more, and like just be like a great asset. And then you're just not gonna bring him back anyway. Why well, sign him in the first place? It, it doesn't make sense. It, it was all. absolute lunacy. It was absolutely banana land. And before we move on, we have to play one last walking bucket siren. I just have to do it. <laughs> The bees, the walking bucket, will forever be missed. He, I mean, I think he should have his jersey in the rafters after that one year. But with one, with one signing that we, with one, with that one signing or release that we did not agree with, there was another one as well. And these are the two moves that Michael and I were extremely adamant about with the coming of free agency and the offseason and everything like that. We had two major moves. Resign Beasley and resign Kyle O'Quinn. And we let Kyle O'Quinn move. And Kyle O'Quinn, following my lead, takes his bags and packs up and moves to the adjacent city to the Silicon Valley of the Midwest to Indianapolis to play for the Indiana Pacers. Another move that I think will ultimately bite us in the ass. He had a team-friendly contract. He was a New York guy. He was gritty. He was tough, played good defense, rebounded well, and we let him walk. Mike, what do you have on Kyle O'Quinn? Yeah, Coke is another guy who I've really come to like. He was a Phil Jackson signing, but definitely one of Phil's best moves. I mean, if not Phil's best move besides the NBA draft, of course. Um, Coke was a savvy signing. He got him on a very team-friendly deal, and he came in. It was a likable personality. He's a New Yorker. Still only 26 years old, so it's not like, you know, you need to get rid of him to build a new foundation. People get so caught up in, yes, we need new starters. We need new franchise guys, but that doesn't mean you just let your bench go to shit. You need to develop continuity, and Coke was a guy who had some continuity behind him. He'd been here for a couple years, like Beasley. He was liked in the locker room, liked by the fan base. Um, and another guy, just like, you know, we were talking all – you know, during the season, like, oh, he might not be, we might not be able to get him because he might get, like, a $10 million offer somewhere. Obviously, this free agency season has not been like that. He got, he left as well on a one-year $4.5 million. I think the one saving grace from this for me is that, you know, we drafted Mitch Robinson and just how he emerged, and this will open up more playing time for him because Cantor opted into his contract, which is something that we had no control over. I would have rather seen Cantor opt out and leave, but, you know, not the worst thing. It's a one-year contract. KP gets back next year. We have Mitch Rob. Hopefully Cantor is gone by then, even though me and you, you know, we're big Cantor fans personality-wise. We've gone over that a million times. not worth going over anymore but at the same time you know this is another thing it's just it was a short you know four and a half million dollar deal and uh you know it's something that we could have got done and it makes less sense to me considering that you know they brought in Noah Vonley right after and Noah Vonley they brought him in basically the same contract same position and Vonley's an outsider I mean why not just bring back O'Quinn for you know why not bring back Troy Williams for that matter it doesn't Uh-oh. make a lot of sense to me I agree and I'm going to touch on the Kyle O'Quinn stuff first 
I mean, you you mentioned that Kyle O'Quinn was a Phil Jackson signing, and I think that Steve Mills and Scott Perry's ultimate move uh, before anything is to clean house with all the Phil Jackson guys, which is, but I I totally agree. He did nothing but positive for the New York Knicks. He stayed healthy for most of the part for most of the time with the Knicks. He played hard. He was a savvy role player. He played defense. He earned every dollar that he was given by Phil Jackson and to let him walk for such little amount of money it just seemed like a move that the new regime the culture change per se did simply to get phil jackson signings out which is kind of stupid well, and then it makes you well, ask the question we, at least we still at least we still have team captain lance thomas though right oh uh, yeah yeah at least we have uh team captain lance thomas that bum ron baker that bum i mean there's those are two guys that left and two guys that are still in the roster that are head and shoulders below that and you know what they always say the team's only as good as their worst player I'm staring at those two. But you did mention that we replaced him with Noah Vonley. And I wanted to touch on that for just a quick second because we did let go of Troy Williams. And uh, I I was very sad when I saw that we got rid of Troy Williams. He had a very nice summer league. He impressed. I thought he was excellent. I thought he was head and shoulders better than Dotson. I never really liked him that much until the summer league. Yeah, summer league, he was dominant. He was shooting well. He took it to the basket with reckless abandon. But nonetheless, I guess he didn't impress enough. And the Knicks released him shortly after. But with every Hoosier career that dies in New York, there is a rebirth. And that rebirth will be known as Noah Vonley. Lennox fans, the fight song will continue because Noah Vonley, Hoosier. Oh, God, everyone was so anxious. I know. It's it's one of the all-time great fight songs. question of the day. Everyone was sitting on their hands like, oh, my God. We don't have Troy Williams anymore. What is the Lennox going to do? Don't worry. Don't worry. Fight song continues. Listen, I'm not extremely excited about the Vonley signing. I think that he's been a massive disappointment so far in the NBA. I don't think his game is that translatable to the new age NBA. But hell, if I can continue playing the Indiana fight song, content is what's important. I support the decision, Michael. What about you? I don't. I, like I, said, I already went over <laughs> no, that. That's a really that, dumb rationalization. <laughs> like I said, I think that I can get over losing Kyle O'Quinn because it makes sense to me. Like, you, you know, you have Canner still. Mitch Robinson's going to be a backup. I mean, Vonley is literally the same position as O'Quinn. Maybe he's a little bit more versatile on the outside. To me, it doesn't make much of a difference in whatever Vonley has versatility-wise or shooting. Um, I think O'Quinn more than makes up with it, with his overall grittiness and also the continuity factor, but that just seems to be the theme of the Knicks right now. They're going after guys who are high draft picks, who are thought to be to have high upside. Like untapped potential. And we saw that with Moutier, um, and I think that it's decent logic for the most part, but scouts aren't always right. We see a lot of times guys who weren't drafted high. O'Quinn was a second-round pick. The scouts, it's a it's a shit show. I think Moutier was badly miscouted. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that, that's what the Knicks are doing. The Nets have started that, but the Nets really have no draft picks. It's what they have to bank on. And you saw that with the Knicks' next move as well when they got brought and, in uh, Mario Hazonja. And it's very likely that the Knicks are just acquiring a ton of potential busts. But the idea is that we're just getting a whole bunch of guys with untapped potential. Hopefully, I'll obviously hope for the latter, but that these guys don't really pass the eye test. But as far as Mario Hazonia goes, and you just said that he was our next pickup, I do agree with the Mario Hazonia signing. I am a big believer in Mario Hazonia. The guy was the fifth pick in the draft. He was picked directly after KP. And I think he fits the current NBA. His style of play will be nice. Good passer, good shooter. Defense leaves a lot to be desired, but people forget that he had a very strong ending to the season last year. He was a late pickup for my fantasy team on my path of destruction to the fantasy finals. So I am very excited to see Mario... So I am very excited to see <laughs> to see Mario Azonia in a Knicks jersey. It's a move that I agreed with, and I think he's going to end up bringing a lot to the table and a lot of entertainment to what's going to, going to be a pretty off season for the Knicks, even by the Knicks standards. Yeah. 
I'm glad you brought up the entertainment factor because Hazonia does have a little bit of that Beasley factor in him. Um, leading up to the draft, I remember people would call him the Croatian J.R. Smith. He's got a lot of bravado, which I like. Um, they asked him before the draft if when he played for uh, Barcelona, if he'd gone to see Messi, and his response was, Messi should come see me. And awesome. we're talking about one of the biggest international athletes in the entire world. That's an awesome response. And if you watch the interview, no hesitation kind of like Beasley with the hot hand. Like, what do you mean, hot hand? I was born with that shit. <laughs> um, so I like it. I love that he could play the four. He was playing a lot of four late in the season with Orlando. That's something I would like to see. Um, he spreads the floor a little bit better than Beasley, but it's, it's going to take me a little while to get over Beasley. And at the end of the day, if you give me the choice of uh, Beasley and O'Quinn over Arizona Vonley, I'm going to take Beasley O'Quinn. And that's just because you've got to build your bench. Maybe Beasley and O'Quinn are never going to be stars. Maybe if you want to put potential on a big spectrum, you could say that Hazonia and Vonley have more upside. But O'Quinn and Beasley are more proven. And what they have proven to do is provide roles that are, you know, very opportunistic on a bench. Having a gritty big man like O'Quinn who could do a variety of things. Having someone who can come off the bench and be a number one option of your second unit. Those are things that are important. You don't always need to just gamble on the most upside, especially when they come at such a cheap cost. And that's all I'm going to say. I, I agree. That. And just a final note before we move on to our next segment and segment two and our final segment in segment two. I remember back when Hazonia was drafted and KP was drafted, all the mad Nick fans that didn't believe in KP kept on saying that we drafted the wrong European player when Hazonia was on the Orlando Magic. He, in Summer League, he had a bounce pass alley-oop to somebody, and that was the clip that was going around. And every mad Knicks fan was like, we chose the wrong European. So you'll get a chance to eat your words. You will get your chance to eat your words this year. So with that, let's move on with, uh, from the acquisitions and more towards the inner... Uh, inner positions. I, <laughs> the inner working. I, I'm trying to figure out a, phrase, uh, a way to phrase this, but uh, yes, the yeah, operation... The is not your thing, Jake. Don't hurt yourself. The operation <laughs> that is the New York Knicks currently and the there head coach of the New York Knicks, David Fisdale, went out with his lovely wife that you are such a big fan of to oh, the lovely God, country of Latvia to go visit to go visit his centerpiece in Christos Porzingis seems like it went well um I, I listen I'm still not making judgments on Fisdale I still think it was a bad pick for the head coach he's doing all the right things but I mean every single Nick fan just because he went to go visit Latvia with uh, he went to go visit Christos Porzingis is already saying he's the greatest coach ever listen everything that he does everything that he says it's all good and dandy but if it doesn't show up on the floor if he can't get the most out of the players that's what I'm gonna judge Fisdale on sure he's our coach I am rooting for him but I'm still not making my judgment but he went to go visit Latvia that's something that Phil Jackson refused to do and uh you know it was nice to see that Michael what do you have on this David Fisdale is a master of saying the right things. All the Knicks he fans is are so good at it right now. I mean, he knows exactly what to say to get the fan base all jacked up. Say, and the fans all saying, "We finally got the coach we need." Like we haven't heard that a million times before, anyway. But Fisdale, you know, he's saying the right things. He went to Latvia, which people are making it like he should have his banner up next to Red Holzman <laughs> for that on Red Holzman's birthday, nonetheless. Happy birthday to the legendary Red Holzman. Um, you know. I think any coach that we chose would have went to Latvia because of how horrible it was a mistake that Phil and Hornacek never went out there. It would have been moronic for any coach to come in and not go to Latvia. And they seem to be making a beautiful vacation out of it anyway with the photos that uh, Mrs. Fisdale, who I hope, like I said, has a community of girlfriends that she likes to go out with because if I see Coach Fisdale out in New York City at any point during the season, I'm officially... You know, I'm not, you know, on the Fisdale wagon. I'm skeptical. I'm rooting for him, but I'm off if I see him at the bar during the season or some shit like that. But, you know, he's the master of saying these right things. I'm very skeptical still. I still haven't seen it from him. I have no proof that he's a guy who could put in the grind work to actually be a good head coach, not somebody who just looks the part and says the right things. You know, there's a lot of people like well, that. Well, let, let, let's, let's be a little bit less cynical and say that, the Latvia trip, it's a grind. That's a little bit of a grind thing, going oh, yeah, all the way to Latvia to visit your centerpiece. Beautiful 
vacation <laughs> pictures that they're all putting up on the Knicks private jet. Yeah, that was such a grind of him in the off season to spend the summer on the Baltic. Oh no! Oh no! Take what? my arms! Don't make me go out to the Baltic. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my God! Um, like I said, I'm rooting for Fizdale. You know, there's some things that are good about him in terms of his philosophies. He seems to want to play more up tempo, a little bit smaller, a little bit more modern. But I need a coach who's not just there to, you know, be a, a salesman and say the right things and be a good front. I need a guy, I don't, you know, someone like Van Gundy who's not going to always look the part, but is actually going to do the part. That's what I want to see. Couldn't agree more, and that's a good synopsis on the whole David Fisdale situation. It's important to touch on. I mean, it's it's a it should be a pretty big non-story that Fisdale met with KP. That's probably what he should have done, and it was a it, it was a good move. But at the same time, like as you said, Nick fans literally thought that his jersey, the jersey, should be hub, hung up, and the, the 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 occasion needed to be commemorated with a banner because. You know, he went to go visit Christos Porzingis in the Baltic in the middle of the summer. So I'm with you. It's it's much less of a story than people want to make it out to be. But, you know, it, it was the right thing to do. So what am I going to do? Hate on it? Yes, because I'm a hater. Yeah. But, anyway, <laughs> but anyway, that's going to conclude segment two. When we come back, back, we'll be back with everybody's favorite segment. Everybody's favorite segment. Our Lennox Rants. My rant. My rant. So please stay tuned. I'm a Nick fan, I gotta stay true. Yes, I do. Are you down with the orange and the blue? I'm a Nick fan. I'm a Nick fan. I'm down with the orange and the blue. I'm a Nick fan, I gotta stay true. Yes, I do. Are you down with the orange and the blue? I'm a Nick fan. I'm a Nick fan. What is up, Nick Nation? You are back, back. with the Lennox Season 2, Episode 33, the second Patrick Ewing honorary episode. Well, I mean, I'm not going to get all into it. I'm not going to drag you along for that long. I'm not going to take you by a leash and start walking and everything. But let me just tell you this. If you are new to the podcast, or even if you're not, and you don't really want to start right from the beginning, I suggest you do. We covered a lot of content in here. A lot of good information was said. But if you're just like looking for the most electric part of the podcast, and you want to get to the meat, the meat of the podcast, you're not really a dive head first into the water type of guy, or a cannonball type of guy. You're not really the renegade type of guy. You're a dip your toes in the water and work your way in. It's okay. We're cool with that, too. If you just landed on this moment right here, where my voice is speaking to you right now, I got my boy Zazu up in the building. No, you don't. I got my boy Zazu up in the building. I got my boy Zazu up in the building. Zazu staying in Carmel, Indiana, right? Yeah, yeah. Zazu, he's a Carmel, Indiana guy. And I, hey, Zazu, how you doing? I'm dapping him up a little bit. Zazu. This is the last Zazu, right? Yeah, it might be. We'll see. I mean, I can't tell what Zazu's going to do. He might move with me. He's my boy now. He might be my roommate in Bristol. I don't know. He's an imaginary. I don't make Zazu's decisions for him, Michael. Zazu makes his own decisions. If he wants to stay with the podcast, we're we're paying him tons of koozie money. He can come with us. If he can't, he can't. If we were paying him any koozie money, I would be leaving. (laughs) So anyway, Zazu, if they land on this moment where my voice is speaking to them right now, now, what do they have? Impeccable timing, Your Majesty. It's literally the corniest thing we do, and we're done with it. Michael, uh, Michael, this is it. this That's is caramel, it. Indiana, cream corn, corn meal, corn bread, corn chowder, corn on the cob, corn is rocket fuel, corn is great, and with that, if you landed here, you have impeccable time because you have landed on our Atlantic Rants. My rant, my rant. And Michael, I know that you're particularly hot about something, so why don't you go for it? Hot. All right, well, it's been a long offseason, Jake, and uh, probably the best part of the offseason, the worst being, obviously, that Michael Beasley is gone, and I still don't want to talk about that, so don't bring it up. Uh, but the best is uh, free agency. Free agency has become electric with the days of Twitter. Um, you know, the clock hits midnight on July 1st, and things just go crazy. I think uh, I heard that they're changing the rule next year, so it's like 3 o'clock or something, so it's not in the middle of the night, which is, you know, with G- another genius forward-thinking move by Adam Silver, just giving the people what they want. They know He knows that free agency has become this frenzy, this, like, hugely talked-about thing. You never know what's going to happen with – 
players and teams and all that, um, and he wants to play to that. And, of course, i got to give him credit. One of the main reasons free agency has been so electric since 2010 has been for our antagonist of the podcast, number one, that is LeBron James because he is a snake with no loyalty. So, you know, you never know what he's going to do next. Obviously, if you haven't heard, LeBron left Cleveland again this summer to go play for the Los Angeles Lakers. So, as I've been saying for a long time, this is no secret, LeBron, he hates Cleveland. I'm just going to throw it out there now. It's something that's public knowledge. I don't get how people understand it. He uses Cleveland. They're like a toy for him. He left for the first time. He tried to separate Cleveland and everything about Cleveland from both himself and Akron. He spoke about how they were the big city folks who looked down on small Akron, and, you know, he hated Cleveland growing up because of that, which is why he just chose some teams out of the random to root for that weren't Cleveland teams because he hated Cleveland. They just happened to be, you know, the Cowboys, the Yankees, the Bulls, just random out of the blue, you know. <laughs> Not fair weather, just, just random. Yeah. No, it's not fair weather. It's that LeBron likes winning, so he roots for winners. I think that's a better way to put it. You know, it's it's totally not being a fair weather fan if you put it into that type of perspective. You he, know? he was a Celtics so fan no when way. he was in Cleveland he's playing a, for them. <laughs> yes, he's he's a you know he's a loyalty to winning, and that makes him a winner. But on the real, LeBron hates Cleveland. I still maintain that. I put my foot down on that. Um, and that's where I'm going to lead in with this Lenny Grant because it hit me when I was watching one of my favorite shows, something I looked forward to all summer. I was watching it the other day. They aired the first episode. The show I'm talking about is Hard Knocks, Jake. You a Hard Knocks guy? Oh, yeah. I'm a big Hard Knocks guy. Huge Hard Knocks guy. Big Hard Knocks guy. It's a great show, and not just because the name Knox is in it. Uh, it's a classic show. It gives us an inside look of the NFL training camp, even though it is all scripted and they can put in or keep out whatever it is. It's still awesome. I wish they had an NBA version of it. It's a great show and it's good to see, you know, how you just look at different organizations around. You kind of know how they will do or not. This uh, season's team is the Cleveland Browns, which makes them highly entertaining. I'm not going to get into the Browns. I recommend to watch. The first episode was great, but the first episode was amazing. Opening scene before anything even happens. Literally the first thing they show is them tearing down the LeBron billboard to shreds. It is amazing. If you want to watch just because of that, I wouldn't blame you. It was the first scene in the entire show, and they're talking. You know, there's obviously, like, stuff like talking going on in the background from talk radio and all the stuff while it's going on. And one of the things that was said by somebody in the background, just, you know, I think it was like a clip from a Cleveland talk radio sports show, was, you know, if LeBron wants to go to Los Angeles, and, you know, the huge billboard of him isn't going to stay up. And the billboard, if you remember, you know, it used to be the one that was him with this, the freaking uh, the cloud, and it said witness. Now it was him. And the back of the jersey, it doesn't say James, just says Cleveland. Like, he's Mr. Cleveland. And I like that attitude. You know, LeBron, that's the Cleveland I like right there. That's hardcore, like, you know, blue-collar Cleveland right there. Like, you're not with us. You know, we're not going to, like, be behind you all the time. Um, and I, I like that mentality, and they're right. You know, if LeBron's not going to be in Cleveland, if he wants to go to L.A., they're not going to leave his billboard up. There's the other Cleveland, which is the Cleveland I've come to despise and I think is soft, where it's like, you know, oh, LeBron won us a ring. He could do whatever he wants. And I've heard that also recently, which really got me thinking. And, you know, LeBron won us a ring. He could do whatever he wants, even though he hates the city and he just uses them and they're a tool for him. LeBron James is the, I'll say it, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player to ever play the game of basketball. That is not to say he's the best NBA player ever, but I've maintained. But LeBron James is at his best. There has never been anyone better. There's never been anyone could take over a game like he does. There's never been a more dominant, more skilled basketball player in history than LeBron James. This guy was drafted by Cleveland. He's from Akron, literally right outside of Cleveland. And he gets the, oh, he won us a championship. He could do whatever he wants. He could come there and back as he pleases and just do whatever the hell he wants, no matter how little loyalty he shows, because he won Cleveland a championship. He's an all-time great. He's supposed to win championships. That is what all-time greats, you want to have him as number one ahead of Jordan. That's what they do. Let's look at some other all-time greats who are not even from that city. Michael Jordan, he turned the Bulls into a dynasty. That's who drafted him. He won six championships. 
Kobe stayed with the Lakers his whole career. He won five. Magic won five for the Lakers. Bird won four with the Celtics. Could have done more if not for injuries. Tim Duncan, five in San Antonio. And people want to give us... People from Cleveland want to give LeBron a pass, like, oh, he brought us a championship, he could do whatever the hell he wants? It's almost disgraceful that LeBron has only won one ring in Cleveland. That's all he did. He, you know, he, he's there, and they win one championship, and he leaves, and he destroys their organization for a couple of years, for years. Since LeBron got drafted by Cleveland, there's been just as or more destruction, dysfunction, bad basketball, but the Cavaliers organization, as there has been good, definitely more bad basketball than there has been championships. And that's not something you could say about other all-time greats. LeBron James getting drafted by Cleveland, when you're drafting maybe the best basketball player ever from that place, he should have turned the Cavs. The Cavs should be right now what Michael Jordan turned the Bulls into or what Tim Duncan turned the Spurs into. The Bulls weren't the Bulls before Jordan. The Spurs were a fucking dog shit organization before Duncan changed that for 20 years and it continues post-Duncan. LeBron James should not get to do whatever the hell he wants because he won one fucking championship for the Cavs and he uses them as his doormat. Just like seeing that one scene in Hard Knocks and then seeing that argument, oh, he brought a championship to Cleveland, he can do whatever he wants. It just I, it, it rubbed me the wrong way in thinking about it. That's exactly why. I mean, it's just such a preposterous argument when you think about that. That's a, just another reason on a long list of reasons why you can't, make the argument for LeBron James is the greatest player ever. He's now with the Los Angeles fucking Lakers. I mean, he can do whatever he can. I'll give him credit for building schools. And, you know, like, LeBron's not a bad person. I'm not going to say that. There's a lot of good about LeBron. But LeBron uses the good things about him to make people turn a blind eye to him as a basketball player and just the snake moves that he does and the fact that he's now playing for the fucking Lakers and you want to call this guy the greatest of all time? Give me a break. It's bullshit. And that entire notion that he could do whatever the hell he wants when Cleveland is now going to be dog shit again. They were dog shit for a couple of years after he left Miami when they could have been with a player like LeBron if he wanted to stay and build something around him instead of join Dwayne Wayne. They, they could have been a you know, with that kind of talent, like with LeBron at a high school, they could have been the next great NBA dynasty, and that's all I got to say. I think that you had an excellent quote in there when you said he uses all the great things he he has at his disposal to make people turn a blind eye to what he has done as a basketball player. People want to like LeBron James because he is a good person. He builds schools. He's charitable. I love all that about LeBron James. I don't hate LeBron good James father. the person. Good father. Good father good husband, yada, yada, yada. We all know Michael Jordan was a humongous scumbag. A lot of NBA players were humongous scumbags. But it should not turn the blind eye. Hey, listen, you want to tell tell me that LeBron James is the GOAT as a person? I could probably... I, than Michael Jordan, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, that. sure. I don't that. care. That's not the argument. I mean, he is not the GOAT in basketball. He His basketball career has been a massive letdown to the chosen one, the king. You know, this is what he was supposed to be. And he, he has been... He's been a letdown, and you know what? Michael and I were real. We're, we're, we're realist. The guy is an incredible basketball player, probably the best I've ever seen. But his career has been a massive letdown. He has. I won't say his career has been a letdown. I will say what he has done for Cleveland has been a massive, massive letdown. Okay, that that's tarnishes his career in a big way. That's fair, and uh, I agree. And nice fresh material because we never talk about this ever. So we I'm. I was always. I was wondering when we were going to finally talk about how much we dislike LeBron James, the basketball player. He was not going unscathed in this episode. Yeah, so anyway, I'm glad that you mentioned hard knocks because I'm going to go towards a different knocks, and I'm talking about Kevin Knox. Yeah, you see what I I did there a little bit. I see that. Was that planned? I, I think it was a little, a little bit. No, no, no. It was totally, it was totally unplanned. Totally unplanned. I, I, I take that back. Unplanned. I just thought of it. Just thought of it. Crazy. So anyway, I'm glad you mentioned Hard Knocks because I'm gonna talk about Kevin Knox, not Kevin uh, Knox the player. You just ruined it by repeating it. Uh, well, fuck you. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Kevin Knox. I'm not really talking about him as an individual. I'm talking about his Nick career up to this point, and more specifically, the Nick fans that like to talk about 
being a ride or die Kevin Knox guy. Just because we drafted him, they applauded the draft pick. Uh, we all know that Scott Perry can do no wrong. Um, you know, we predict a million different futures and we're successful in each and every one of them. That is a very safe mindset for the Nick fan to have. I mean, after the last 20 years of destruction under the domain of Steve Mills and James Dolan. So why not just blindly trust Scott Perry? And he is a friend of the podcast and I like him. So whatever. So these blind eye Kevin Knox diehards that are ride and die Fisdale guys, whatever. They find it unacceptable for guys like us to root for Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox being the new hopeful part of the franchise centerpiece to the Knicks. Um, Nick fans like us, we can't root for Kevin Knox because we booed him on draft night. It's just simply unacceptable to these guys. Um, so when he was dominating in the summer league and we were giving him a whole bunch of praise on our Instagram and openly eating crow about maybe being a little bit harsh on the draft pick, we were getting a lot of flack saying that we booed the draft pick and we can't jump on the, and this is what really got me, the quote-unquote band wagon the bandwagon of being a Kevin Knox fan. And this is, you know, another LeBron thing, making it more about the player than the team so people turn a blind eye to the whole thing. But that's a different argument in itself. But the bandwagon is what really got me. What fucking bandwagon are you talking about? The bandwagon of being a Knicks fan? I don't remember the last time being a Knicks fan was being a bandwagon fan. It's been since the 90s since being a Knicks fan could be considered anything even remotely close to being a bandwagon fan. It's just a preposterous mindset. And as far as the Kevin Knox thing goes, I was on the bandwagon since day one. Yes, I booed the pick, but who gives a shit? Nobody wants to see the man succeed more than I do. The second his name was called, I was unhappy. I wanted other people more than him, but I became an instant Kevin Knox fan the second his name was called. I booed it for a little bit, but who cares? Turn the boos into cheers. That is how the New York Knicks mindset should go. You have to earn the fans' trust. You have to earn the Knicks fans' praise. You think people love John Starks right from the start? The dude that was bagging groceries, whose birthday it was recently, happy birthday, but the dude that was bagging groceries in Oklahoma... Who the, who the hell cares? You got to earn the respect from Nick fans. We are old school type of Nick fans. And you know what? Kevin Knox is off to a tremendous start. When the beginning of the season rolls around, I'll be cheering for him because of what he did in the summer league. But you know what? If he was a big time dookie in the, or a Lance Thomas type of guy in summer league, uh, I'd be booing the shit out of him on the first night of the season. But since he showed up in the offseason, he earned my respect a little bit. He's not all in there. I'm still a little bit upset we didn't get other guys, but he looked tremendous. So I'm all in on Kevin Knox. I have been on Kevin Knox and the bandwagon mindset. If you are listening to this podcast and you're one of these guys that say a Nick fan, a Nick fan for 25 years cannot be on the Kevin Knox quote unquote bandwagon because I booed him on draft night, you may want to reconsider some other adjectives to consider yourself other than Nick fan because I don't think it suits you very well. Michael, that's going to conclude my Lennox rant. What do you got on this? I agree. I said it all the time. Before Kevin Knox, during Kevin Knox, after Kevin Knox. Being a fan and being a cheerleader are two extremely different things. I don't consider being a cheerleader a true fan. I don't think you're a true fan, just like I don't think you're a true American almost, if you just blindly go along with everything. It's like saying, not to get political, like this is not a political podcast, but I don't think people who don't like Donald Trump, for instance, are bad Americans. They just have opinions, just like I don't think Americans who like Donald Trump are bad Americans. They just there's just differences of opinions. But just because you don't agree with something your front office does and you're outspoken about it, that doesn't mean that you're not a fan. Obviously, I said from the start, like you said, when we drafted Kevin Knox, I'm a fan. I'm rooting for the guy to do well. But that doesn't mean I can't be skeptical about it. It doesn't mean I can't share away my opinions. If uh, I wouldn't have created a podcast with you if that was the matter. I, I mean, we, why wouldn't, have, we, we, we wouldn't a, be really good at podcasting in general yeah, if would, we didn't have why would we, interesting we're opinions. We're not a fan page. We say it all the time. Like We're not just a page that's just going to post 
bland Nick updates, and that's all we are. You know, this is a we share our opinions, and if our opinion was always just Knicks are doing great, Knicks are doing great, Knicks are doing great, it wouldn't be much of a podcast. And that goes for double when we're talking about the Knicks. This is not the San Antonio Spurs. This isn't Greg Popovich. We're we're deciding a question. I mean, if you're not questioning this organization after being fans as long as we've been fans for, either I think you're lying about being a fan for that long, or I think you're out of your fucking mind because this organization, you know, they have our loyalty in terms of being a fan, but to have our loyalty and the thinking that they're doing the right thing, you'd have to be a little crazy to always think that the Knicks are doing the right thing. Um, and I said it, Knox and Porzingis were a lot different. I love Porzingis. I love that draft pick. I know you did too. Um, when fans booed Porzingis, it was mostly because they didn't know him. We did not boo, or not, not even, I'm not going to say boo. We didn't dislike the Knox pick because we didn't know about him. We just, you know, we, we watched all them in college. We liked other guys better, and that was our opinion. I wanted the Knicks to draft Porzingis, and I said this back in 2015. I wanted the Knicks to draft Porzingis knowing how unpopular pick he'd be, knowing that he would get booed. I, I wanted the boos to come because I wanted that hunger. I wanted that mentality. I'm going to turn those boos into cheers. We're in New York. We're not Oklahoma City. We're not some of these small markets that clap along with everything their teams do. No real dedication. No real loyalty. In New York, you come in, you start from the bottom, you have to earn trust. Knox started that during the summer league, and I always say, if I can have my way with it, I'll let every Knicks draft pick get booed. You know, just show, you're in New York now, you're on the big stage, you're going to have to earn our loyalty, it's not handed to you, and if you can't handle that, then you know what, you shouldn't have been here in the first place. If you can't handle that, your whole perspective is whack. Maybe you'll love me when I fade the black. Right? Yes, that's exactly, no, it's true, very true. So, a good, uh, Good way to insert that quote. Yeah, no, great, great, great stuff, Hova. Your perspective is whack. Your your whole perspective is whack. So anyway, that's going to conclude season two, episode thirty three of the Lennox podcast. Black, right? Because we're concluding fade the black. Yeah. Fade the black with the conclusion. So anyway, that's going to conclude Season 2, Episode 33 of the Lennox Podcast. But what kind of podcast host would I be if I didn't let you guys in on a little secret? And of course, I'm just I'm going to try and think of some sort of uh, metaphor to put this in, uh, something to compare it to. I can't think I of it. What you're uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of something. Uh, oh, Waiting on pins and needles. Uh, here, here I, I, here's the snap. Light bulb, I just thought of something. It's kind of like if Steve Jobs came up to you, uh, sub 1980s, and was I like, what Steve Jobs sounds like. And he's just like, I've always wondered that. You and know, and, and, and he before. comes up to you and he says, Hey, how you doing? Steve Jobs here. I, 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 got, I got a little tech company. A little tech company I'm doing. Uh, just a little tech company. Not a big tech company. A little tech company. But uh, I really think that there's going to be something. I, there might be an opportunity in it for you. I, the only thing I'm trying to think of, I can't. I'm, I'm searching my brains. I'm searching my brains, and I can't think of it. But uh, I'm thinking about calling it some sort of fruit. Uh, a fruit. A passion fruit. A dragon fruit. Um, uh, or an avocado is a fruit in some capacity. I don't know. Grape. Apples, not apple. Uh, apple, we're ruling apple. Yeah, that, it's too bland. That's way too bland. Pineapple, though. Yo, pineapple, pineapple. Those shits are good. But either way, cantaloupe's a good one. Honeydew, honeydew. I love honeydews. <laughs> So anyway, he comes up to you. All I need to do from you is I need ten dollars. Ten dollars. And if you were to say no to Steve Jobs there, sounding like that and spitting that kind of knowledge, you'd be nothing short of an idiot to say no to that. And, of course, the opportunity that I'm presenting to you are koozies. 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 And what can I say that I have not said before? They are flying off the shelf. They are form. The they are function. They're everything that you need. They're the look of the summer. They're they're attractive. They attract the opposite sex or the same sex. We don't judge. If you have one, you have to guard it. Like August Mendez said, you're not going to touch my koozie. This is my koozie. They are the greatest invention of all time. Michael, why is that? Well, I think... If you ask any rational person that you know, somebody who's woke, somebody who is not blinded by the biased media, you know, things of that nature, who could, who's a free thinker, could think on their own and knows the ways of the world, you ask that person what the greatest invention of all time is, they would probably respond without even thinking, like Michael Beasley with the hot hand response. Sorry, sorry, I just brought that name uh, up. I got emotional. You, you just had to get me depressed. <sighs> I was having such a deep good time. Breath, <laughs> deep breath, deep breath. They would respond without even thinking, the koozie.
obviously. Um, you know, before the invention of the koozie, if we were drinking a beverage, we would hold it with our bare hands, touching the can like Neanderthals. Our hand gives off heat that is absorbed by the beverage in the can. It makes your hands colder and, you know, not feeling good. It makes your beverage get really warm and disgusting very quickly. It's a contact that should never happen. Enter the koozie. It serves as a protective barrier between your hand and your beverage, keeping your hand nice and warm and toasty in any condition and your beverage nice and cold, whether you're drinking outside in the summer days like right now, your beverage will stay nice and cold and refreshing. It's simply the greatest invention of all time. Enter our koozie, our Mindaugas Kuzminskis, friend of the podcast, fallen soldier of La Resistance, specifically tailored. He owns it. He's a fan. Um, the koozies with his image. His name is the koozie. It's very clever. Um, they're the greatest koozie of all time. You got Kuzminskis, Fallen Soldier of La Resistance. You got Form and Function. You got Style and Grace. It's the greatest koozie of all time. The koozie is the greatest invention of all time. So by the transitive property, isto facto, our koozies are the greatest invention of all time. And you got to get them now before they sell out. We have to raise the prices on you. And right now you can all get them for only $10. That is such a steal at that price. And Michael, if they want to purchase said koozie, how do they go about doing that? Well, the easiest way to do it would be to go directly on our website, the hottest Knicks website in the game, and that is www.thelenix.com. That's www.t-h-e-l-e-k-n-i-c-k-s.com. Or you could always contact us via direct message on our social media, both Instagram and Twitter.com. And our social media handle is at the underscore Lennox. That's at T-H-E underscore L-E-K-N-I-C-K-S. You heard it all before. The bad boys, the renegade guys of, so- of Nick's social media. We're always there. We always respond to you. That's a guarantee. Whether you're commenting on a post, whether you direct message, we love to hear from you. That's why we started. So contact us for a koozie. Contact us and say what's up. Anything like that. We're your boys. <laughs> We're your boys and... Again, hit us up. You want to be on the podcast? We're going to move to YouTube. You want to get your face out there? Don't be afraid. We're welcoming of all Nick fans. We want to hear from you. We love to hear from you. And with that, that's going to conclude Season 2, Episode 33 of the Lennox Podcast, the second Patrick Ewing Honorary Podcast, and our last one in Indianapolis behind enemy lines. It served us well. We will miss the uh, studio that was given, and we will move forward with that. Michael, any last thoughts? In the wise words of the late, great Walking Bucket from the award-winning Walking Bucket Show. Emmy Emmy Award winning Walking Bucket Show, television or social media television history. It's been real. It's been fun. It hasn't been real fun. And with that, as always, we'll leave you with this Go Knicks, go Orange and Blue, and stay faithful. Go New York, go New York, go!